0: Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Mark to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is Mark Beal, author, university professor, podcast host, keynote speaker, marketeer, marathon runner, traveler. I mean, I can keep going and I will, but this is amazing. Yes. Um, husband, father, grandfather, and Generation Z expert. Uh, despite being a member of Generation X, Mark has written five books about Generation Z, including the soon-to-be-published Engaging Generation Z. Hello, Mark, and welcome to Back to Basics.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, I mean, this is, this is getting great. Every time I am making an introduction, it gets bigger and bigger. I guess my guests are becoming like more prominent. This is awesome to have you on the show.
1: Well, hopefully we'll, uh, I, I, I just appreciate, it. I'm honored to be on the show and we'll, hopefully we'll cover a few of those items that you uh, had the introduction.
0: Oh, we definitely will. I know that I had some data on, on the marathons you run and we'll get to that for sure, <laughs> but uh, I'm happy to have you here. I know that uh, all the episodes we've been taping lately are in the midst of this coronavirus crisis. So I think you are in the New York area, New Jersey?
1: Yes, I am in uh, New Jersey. So, uh, yeah, in the New York, New Jersey area and, you know, monitoring, obviously, the the health crisis very closely.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully you stay safe up there. And so since this is where we always begin, it's, uh, you know, your childhood, where you're from, if you can share with us a little bit about, uh, you know, who were you as a kid? What were you passionate about? I'm always very interested in in, in listening about the tender years of my guests.
1: Absolutely. Well, I was born in the Bronx, New York. So one of my first passions is the New York Yankees. I started following them probably when I was four or five years old. But I I moved to uh, a very interesting place when I was uh, just about five. I moved to the United States Military Academy at West Point, New York. So my father was a colonel in the army and he was involved with the admissions office there. So if you applied to get into West Point, you had to kind of go through him and his team. And so from the age of five to about the age of 12 or so i lived on a military base and a very prominent military base because again it was the home to the the uh, the academy there at west point so i i loved living up uh living growing up on an army base uh going to uh, army football games every saturday going to army basketball games you know running and biking and walking across the campus as uh the cadets at west point were going through their drills and their marching and everything else so it was a very interesting place to grow up when you're in you know from kindergarten through about eighth grade.
0: I imagine. And where did you have any siblings?
1: Oh, I have, uh, there's seven ups in total. I am second to youngest. Oh, so, wow. uh, I, I'm on the younger side of it, but yeah, there's seven ups in total, all obviously different ages. So we all kind of had uh, di- different growing up experiences since, uh, we're kind of, um, from an age perspective, uh, spread out a little bit, but, um, Still, uh, you know, all over the country nowadays, but still in contact with each other. I imagine.
0: I imagine. And until what age, more or less, were you like in that military environment or pretty much until you went to to university or?
1: Well, I was uh, in that environment till about eighth grade. And then um, after uh, high school, I actually uh, went into what's called the United States Military Academy prep school. So it's a prep school between high school and college and for uh, a little bit over a year or so, you're there. And so I was actually um, stationed at Fort Monmouth, New Jersey, for, like I said, just about a year with about 300 other uh, individuals, all who had a, a goal of getting into West Point and going to West Point. While I did attend the Military Academy Prep School, I, I eventually went to Rutgers University. And I did my university education there, not at West Point, but I'm still in contact with many of the people who I was in the army with back in 1984
0: and 1985. Yeah. So so growing up was that what were you passionate about? Like, did you obviously you had that military influence, but I guess you didn't like it enough to go into it or or you did you pursue what you wanted to study in a way?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, my passion, honestly, I always loved media. I loved newspapers. I loved television. I loved radio. From the time I was uh, a kid, I just loved media, consuming media, reading media, watching media. I mean, I, I remember as just a sophomore in high school, so I was probably age 14, there was an ad in the newspaper to be a sports editor for a local weekly newspaper in Belmar, New Jersey, which is located the Jersey Shore, And I saw that ad and I went in and said, I want this job. And at the age of 14, they let me be the sports editor of a weekly newspaper that who knows if anyone even read the newspaper. (laughs) I I know it was distributed all over town, but they made me the sports editor at the age of 14. And so that was my passion was media, writing, reporting. By the time I was a senior in high school, so I was only 17 years old. I was uh, a part-time writer for a daily newspaper, the Iceberg Park Press, and they sent me out and had me cover sports stories and paid me for it. So that was only as a senior in high school. Um, and then I pursued that in at Rutgers University, where I studied and majored in journalism. I uh, was on the student radio station WRSU-FM, where I called the basketball games and the football games and had a sports show I also worked, uh, while I was at Rutgers, I went into New York city and I worked at WNBC radio, which doesn't exist anymore, but what at one point was a very powerful radio station. And I helped produce one of the first ever, uh, sports radio shows that was on every night from seven o'clock to midnight. And so it was during that time of, again, loving media, consuming media, learning about media and journalism that I also was introduced to public relations and marketing between my junior and senior year in college. And the moment I started working for a, uh, an agency in New York uh, in that summer of 1988. After one day, I said, actually, this is what I want to do. I don't want to report on the news. I actually want to create news. I want to create stories. I want to take human interest stories and give them a platform of, of, of being covered by the New York Times or USA Today or Good Morning America. And so that was the major change for me from going from kind of covering the news to creating news or not so much creating news, but taking stories that were compelling, human interest stories that were compelling, and making the media aware of them and getting the media to um, have enough interest to potentially cover them.
0: Well, I can tell why you're good at it, because you're talking and I'm like just listening to you. And (laughs) now it dawned on me. I'm like, okay, I get better. (laughs) Get ready to what to ask next. I'm totally like... um, uh, interested in the story you're telling. And I know because i read a little bit about you, of course, that uh, you also developed uh, and executed public relations and marketing campaigns for high, high profile events, such as the Olympic Games, the Super Bowl, World Series. That's pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. So I, uh, again, as I changed kind of my focus from being a journalist to being a marketer, I was fortunate enough in uh the early 90s to um, uh, be hired by a New York agency uh, that had a focus on sports. And for the next 20, 25 plus years, I was fortunate enough to work and collaborate with some great people at an agency called Taylor, where we worked primarily with corporate brands who were sponsoring um, sports and entertainment events. So to your point, I started working at the Olympic Games in 1992 in Albertville and Barcelona, where I represented Bristol Myers. I've worked at the U.S. Open Tennis Championships in New York for many, many years, representing a wide variety of sponsors. I even um, got the chance to spend some time with the Rolling Stones when one of my clients sponsored their tour over the course of two years, and so I got to handle the uh, the opening uh, press conference where they had I had them on the top of Juilliard playing a concert in New York City at, at lunchtime to um, creating promotions and campaigns around their tour. So it was always uh, exciting and fun and interesting events, high profile, but the key was that we were always trying to create meaningful and engaging campaigns for our clients who were sponsoring these high profile events. And that that was the key part is to create, again, campaigns that consumers would engage with as our clients were investing sponsorship dollars in these major sports and entertainment events.
0: Wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. And then, of course, at some point you started to write, and, and I want to get to Generation Z because that definitely, I think it's a very important, uh, subject and something I don't know much about, but it's nice to see that the transition, like with uh, some of my guests, I spent, you know, most of the interview trying to, or for them to tell me how did they change their careers or they got into something they didn't like initially, and then how they, you know, found fulfillment. And I know that one of your, I think is your latest book. I think I messed up in the introduction. Career in Transition is your latest book.
1: That's the, yeah, that's the latest book that actually has been published. Uh, that, that came out a few months ago. Uh, engaging Gen Z will come out in about a month or two, but correct. The latest book that's actually published is called Career in Transition, which we're at a time right now with this health crisis, where there are going to be a lot of people in a transitional point in their careers because of, um, Again, what's happening? Layoffs, reductions in force, and things like Absolutely.
0: that. Absolutely, and I, you know, I definitely want to check that out. It's 101 lessons to achieve job search success. So I think he, you're very right. This is a time I think that people are recalibrating, rethinking. Even if you maybe still have a job, but the fact that we are, most of us are working from home, and just the pace of our lives uh, is different. I think it has a lot of people thinking about it. Right.
1: Absolutely. So it's interesting you bring that up. So while I, as you said, I'm working from home, I'm teaching my courses at Rutgers University, you know, from home remotely using tools like Zoom and other things. I'm getting a lot of calls from individuals who either have just lost their job. So people who are 10, 15, 20 years into their career. And also I'm getting calls from my current students and other students across the country, especially those who are seniors and are expected to graduate in about a month and a half, concerned the fact that, um, we're in this crisis and concerned that many companies have a hiring freeze. And so what I've recommended, especially to the college students, is use this time to your advantage. Use this time to conduct as much research you can about companies you would like to go work for, about the industries you'd like to go work for. Use this time to do all that preparation and planning that many times we don't have the time because we're racing so fast. We've got classes to take. We've got jobs. We have internships. Now we actually have that time because we really can't, you know, we can do our work from our homes, but we really can't be commuting. We can't be traveling. We can't be going places. So now we do have some extra time on our plates. And so my message to all my the college seniors out there who all want to obviously secure jobs after they graduate is actually use this time to your advantage, conduct as much research as you can, conduct as much preparation and planning, make new connections. I told, I last night was on a, um, a Zoom call with a bunch of college students and I said, if I were you right now, I would make a goal of every day if you can, starting today, see if you can make one new professional connection, whether through LinkedIn, an email, a phone call of some sort, see if you can do that. Set that as a goal every single day to see if you can make a connection between now and the day you graduate, because all those connections are going to eventually help you get that job. So it's things like that, like that, you said, that normally in the normal course of business, we just don't have time to sit back and kind of do a lot of those things. We have to squeeze it in. Well, we actually have the time now. So one thing we do have, even if we're busy working remotely, even if we're busy in our college classes, we still have a little bit more time than we usually do. And so we should use that time to our advantage. And and so for those job seekers, that's what I'm telling them is use this time for research, preparation and planning. Wow,
0: thank you. I, I have to thank you for that advice. I mean, I am a CEO, I own my own company, but even the, the pace at which Things are happening now. Like you cannot pressure customers right now into making decisions. Not not much is going on. They don't know how to move. So, of course, I find myself doing exactly what you're saying, right? Like I am networking more, like virtually reconnecting more with people. But it's almost like you have that guilt that you're not doing what you normally do in your day job. (laughs) Is, and I say, but this is work. This is also working, but the the importance that we place into certain activities is not the same as as other activities, and and that re- resetting is hard.
1: You're absolutely right. It's a different kind of work, and it's not something that any of us are used to because none of us have faced this situation, but I, I, I'll build on what you just said there. It's a different kind of work. So you're right. So you or me and others who might be... Um, you know, own businesses or have businesses. You know, to your point, we're not trying to sell things right now. We're not necessarily trying to promote things. We're trying to build relationships. We're trying to build connections that three, six, nine, twelve months from now might result in new new work or new new business. And I just wrote a column in the uh, Newark Star Ledger on Sunday that also appeared on NJ.com, and and for companies while they may not be doing their normal work right now, many of them have quickly reconfigured and transformed. Uh, For example, I saw, you know, Ford Motors, they may not be building cars, but now they're building, you know, things like respirators. So companies are even seeing that, you know, there are ways we can help. And what I say is they're putting purpose above a profits right now. They're, they're saying, how can we help at this time of need? What can we do? And even if it's not normally what we do, whether that's building cars or building something else, we have the equipment, the technology, the innovation, and the intellectual capital to apply our, 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 all our assets to something else. So what is it that we can help with at this time of need? We see spirits companies creating um, cleansers and things like that. Um, we're seeing companies like Fanatic's which is making the baseball uniform for major league baseball players using materials now to create gowns for doctors and nurses, protective wear for them. So companies are just working differently, but many of them are prioritizing purpose over profits and they're doing purposeful work as opposed to just work that drives profits.
0: I, I love that. I think that's um That's so important that we come to terms that uh, this is more uh, our human nature has to shine at this point. And, uh, you know, we have workers that and I think I mentioned this in a different episode, but I'll say it again, that because we are in telecommunications, we are deemed essential workers Now more than ever, if our networks are not working, if we cannot do that video conferencing that you're doing to teach your students, we have a problem. So now more than ever, we rely on our communication networks. But, you know, when I have a customer say, but we are essential, you have to put the people out. And I say, yeah, but my workers are also people. They are also afraid. They have families. They are dealing with a lot of stuff too. So you can also not force people to work when they don't feel like it. Or they no, are absolutely. having their own, their own issues, you know. So it's hard, and I know the healthcare providers. I know a lot of them are struggling with that too. That they 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 have a calling and they're doing their best, but at some point, some of them also are dealing with a lot of things. So um, yeah, it's interesting times for sure.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. You know, I I we touched on it a little bit, but I'll just I'll just go back. So I'll bridge it to what we're just talking about. Is you know so. I, I uh, you know spent 25 plus years in public relations and marketing and loved every minute of it. I still love it. But in um, 2013, Rutgers University asked if I would teach just one course in public relations, and of course I said yes. I was very very excited to be able to go back to where I graduated from and to be able to give back to uh, today's student, and, and that's really what my focus was. It was to give back one course turned to two, two turned to three. In this past year, I was fortunate enough where they asked if I would become a full time professor, which of course I said yes to, but. As you said, my focus is you know leveraging my thirty years of uh, marketing and public relations, Uh, everything I've learned in those years, the clients I've worked with, the campaigns I've worked with, but more importantly, leveraging all the relationships I have. And so, one of the focuses of my work at Rutgers University, aside from actually teaching, is I try to help as many students as I can secure experience, whether that's internships, experience, their first job out of college. And so, I just really focus a lot on. Leveraging um, relationships, leveraging my network. And to your point, it was my students who actually inspired me and write my author my first ever book, which is called 101 Lessons They Never Taught You in College. That was the questions I got after every class, and by email and by phone, saying, How do I write a resume? How do I conduct a phone interview versus an in-person interview? How do I actually create a network and expand it? What do I do after an interview? Should I be sending a thank you note, a thank you email? I get these questions every day. So I said, let me write this book. And so it's 101 one-page lessons or pieces of advice that actually are answers to all the questions I regularly get. And so that was the first book that the students inspired. Then, as you said earlier, you know, I, I have this, um, I guess we can call it an expertise, but this focus and this passion on Generation Z. And again, that really comes from my students because all most of my students now, if they were born anytime time after, say, 1995, which majority were, they are considered Generation Z. And so, your oldest Generation Zers just graduated college in the last year or two and started working. The majority of Gen Zers are in college, in high school, and in grammar school. And um, I'm really fascinated by them. I'm inspired by them because I can see how they are changing the world, transforming the world, creating a better community, better neighborhoods. And so, um, you know, my third book was called Decoding Gen Z. And it was all about what makes Gen Z tick? What do, are they doing on social media? Do they consume traditional, you know, television, radio, newspaper, or if not, how, what, what kind of content do they consume? So that book came out about a year and a half ago, and it's really set me off on kind of this, this um, path to just immerse myself in Generation Z, because I truly believe over the next 15 to 20 years, they are actually going to transform many things uh, like work, like media, like marketing pop culture and many other things.
0: Well, that comes in handy because I read too that Generation Z goes up to like 2010 and my son was born in that year. I said, oh, this, I might oh. I might have to read all these books now <laughs> to try. Yeah, to- yeah, so
1: he, so funny. So he's on the younger end of the spectrum, obviously. And uh, he, uh, so he, yeah, he's Gen Z. He kind of straddles Gen Z and what the next generation is called is Gen Alpha, which is uh, kind of anyone born, say, let's say after 2010. So he's he's kind of a, you know, straddles both. Uh, But what's interesting about your son and what I hear from, you know, when I speak to say high school students, and I interview students all the time. So I conduct interviews in groups and one-on-one and I'll talk to a a high school student, say a freshman in high school, who's very tech savvy. I spoke to one, um, Thomas Sachs, who lives in Baltimore, Maryland. I mean, who, who has fun doing things like building robots among many other things. And I said, it seems like you are just so advanced tech wise, technology wise. And he said, if you think I am, just imagine your son, age seven, age eight, age nine, age 10. Imagine when they become 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds, they are going to be even farther ahead than I am now, because the rate at which they're adopting technology, using technology is is moving so quickly that they are, they're just advancing at that, at just such a quicker rate. And I, and I do see that already. I got the chance to, um, Guest speak, at a STEM high school in New Jersey, uh, 40 students who are all focused on, again, you know, STEM, so science and engineering and math and all these things. And I walked in and before I spoke to them, they were all building and operating the robots that they had all built in class. And I was just fascinated by how they did it, how they were working on it, how they were testing it. Um, It was just fascinating. And then I got to spend about two to three hours with these 40 students. And uh, I learned so much from them that, as I said, as I left there, I was inspired by them.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely a different world. In fact, they just got a fast track because my little one is five years old. So I guess she's a full alpha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now she's Zooming for school, you know, because this, wow. this whole situation yeah. have put them that they take attendance through a Zoom call every morning at 930 the little one at 830, the the nine year old. And now they're each one on their Zoom and doing this thing and say, wow, they just got a fast track thanks to the coronavirus on technology. So, th- so
1: think about that for a second. Your five year old every day is is participating in class and via Zoom. And there are probably and 50-year-olds who still can't figure out how Zoom even works. I mean, that's how fast-tracked she is right
0: now. Yes, but the truth is that I I feel like even my my dad is 85, and now he's Zooming, too,
1: because now they
0: have no option, right? This situation has put us in a situation like, okay, either you do it or you're not going to see your family. So now they really have a compelling event.
1: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Well, to to your point, I love that you brought that up. So that was the column that I wrote that I I said appeared Sunday in the Newark Star-Ledger. That was the whole theme of my column was that, you know, I've been, as I conduct media interviews, I say that in the next 10, 15 years, Generation Z is going to transform a lot of things. One of those things is remote working because Gen Z with technology can do work from anywhere. They don't need to report to an office like so many of us have done for so many years. They can do work from anywhere. And what my column was all about was that this current health crisis is actually going to expedite this for not just Gen Z, but for everybody. Because now, as you said, we're all now working remotely. We're all adopting technologies that two or three weeks ago we didn't even know, we never heard of. We're now using them. So we're all becoming fluent in technology and other things that help us to work and collaborate remotely. And my feeling is that when we get through this health crisis, Not all of us are going to go back to a traditional, you know, commuting to work, reporting to a building. Obviously, many of us will, but I think some companies are going to see this and say, you know what, there may be more efficient ways for us to work going forward. Maybe we don't need to uh, rent a big building in the big city. You know, maybe people um, are more uh, productive having the opportunity to work from where they want to work, to work from. So I think this is expediting a lot of change in a good way that I think we're going to see over the course of the next year or two, a lot more remote working. And what I call, I call it WFA, which is, you know, work from anywhere. And it's something that Gen Z t- tells me all the time. They're like, as long as we have technology, we can work from anywhere. We don't need to spend an hour commuting into a city and wasting an hour. We can, we can already be up and running and working. And Obviously, we're seeing that now with everybody uh, working remote.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think a lot of it is is psychological barriers of a lot of people thinking that unless you are at the office, you don't work. And what most people tell you, they work more when they're at home because they never like really break, right? Yes. And it's true, and most people experience that. So I totally agree with you. But uh, I want to go quickly back because I I know that I – I'm gonna ask you what makes you tick. Although I think that you always, uh, you have been very good at, at showing your passion. But you mentioned before that that you research researcher. You like to find out what makes Generation Z tick. So I'm now I'm curious. Yes. What makes them tick?
1: What makes Generation Z? Absolutely. So uh, just to back up a little bit, when you know my students inspired me to kind of think of these books and author these books, the Generation Z one came about because you know for the last fifteen or so years most companies, most brands were focused on millennials as their primary audience to market to. And as millennials got older and Gen Z got older, you know, two or three years ago, I said, well, millennials soon are going to be kind of in the rearview mirror as far as the main focus of marketers and advertisers. And really Generation Z is going to become the focus now and for the next 15 years. So I thought, let me start interviewing Gen Zers across the country. So bottom line is for my books, I I, I consistently interview Gen Zers, but I interview Gen Zers from age 13, high school freshmen, to age 23 or 24, those who have graduated college and have started working. And what makes them tick are a couple of things that I bring up in every speech I make. First and foremost is they, um, they are, as we've talked about, very tech savvy. They've had technology in their hands since the age of one, two, and three. Technology is at the center of everything they do. So I always say technology is at the center of work, play, social life for them, very tech centric. Ah uh, with that, they also obviously are very um, fluent in both digital and social media, right they 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 know social media channels, they understand digital media content, all those kinds of things. so that's that's one piece of the puzzle. Part of that though is they have incredible entrepreneurial spirit. and what I mean by that is their mind thinks a little bit differently. Many of them aren't thinking about just getting a job. many are thinking about what kind of company can I create I had a, an interview with um a young lady by the name of Sophie Kleinberg. She was a 13 or 14 year old in New York City in high school. And she explained to me how she had a passion for making homemade jewelry, but because of technology and because of a platform that she discovered, an online platform, she was able to not only make it, but sell it around the world. And so she, at the age of 13 or 14, created her own jewelry company and had customers in South America, in Australia, in Europe. I mean, that's just Amazing to think about, you know, Um, so there's that entrepreneurial piece. And then the last piece is what I call community minded, you know, uh, community minded and socially conscious and, and purposeful. And what I mean by that is they do have a real focus on community. How can I help it? What can I do? They have a focus on um, they want to support companies and brands that have a higher purpose than just selling me something. So we're seeing that now with this health crisis. We're seeing companies who are being purposeful and those companies will win the loyalty and respect of Generation Z because they're showing a higher purpose than just profits. So those are the things to me that make them take. And then last but not least, which is more on the um, kind of more on the uh, the content side of things, is they're very experience. Uh, centric, which means they like to be part immerse themselves in experience with, with experiences, unique experiences with other friends so that they can then share that content on social media. So when I talk to brands and companies and they say, you know, it doesn't seem like traditional advertising is getting to Generation Z, And I'm like, no, it's not. What you need to really do is you need to create experiences that they can actually participate in and then they will create content and share it and promote your brand. But that's one of the primary ways you have to do it. Is they they're really looking for what we call Instagrammable experiences. So those are really the things that I've narrowed down. Those kind of five or six things that really make them tick.
0: Wow, that's uh, no, that's very very helpful. And I can see I can see traits already in in my son uh, of all these things that you're that you're sharing. Actually, we just we just yesterday launched a song we made. During, you know, on this weekend, my husband is a musician, he's an engineer, but, you know, we're like trying to find fun ways to, to like not be bored during the weekend, especially. And so we said, let's just compose a song for coronavirus. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So we did, but it's kind of sharing this experience, right? That we went through the experience of composing the song and now we release it. And they just, both my son and daughter, they are so excited that they kind of uh, rode the experience with us to do it.
1: And to your point, I love that you brought that up. It doesn't have to be experience that I have to travel to. It's something I was a part of. So in your case, and that's a perfect case. They were part of creating something new, creating something fun, creating something different. It's but at this, epo- you know, but at the center of it, it's content. It's a song. It's creating the song. It's shooting video of you performing the song and then sharing it with uh, you know friends and family on social media. That's a perfect example. Yeah,
0: that's the next step. The video. That's next weekend. <laughs> 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 I look forward to it. <laughs> but yeah. And so, Mark, and I know you're, you're very busy, so I I, I want to start closing the interview, but I also want you to talk about what makes you tick. And I think we we left the marathon, but I am suspecting that that's somehow part of that.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, in my lifetime, I have run five marathons, including the Boston Marathon. Uh, it's been a few years since uh, since then. I'm not as young as I once was, but I, I do use the... Um, the saying, you know, success is a marathon. And I use that for two reasons. One is since I used to run marathons, I knew what it took to complete a marathon. It takes months and months and months of dedication and training just to finish a marathon, let alone finish one in a fast time. And so, you know, I see that success is a marathon there, but really just in in school, in business, you consistently have to, you know, work at it every single day. You can't, it's not it's not a quick in and out and, you know, winning, winning something or winning a new piece of business or a job. And that's it. It's, it's consistently day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, consistently evolving, transforming, learning, performing, and doing all those things. So I'm a, I'm kind of a big believer in that philosophy. And, you know, from my standpoint, I just, I'm just always eager to learn something more, learn something new. Um, Lesson number 101 of my first book, 101 Lessons They Never Taught You in College. The last lesson in the book is never stop learning. And the message to college students was yes, you just finished college and you finished high school and you finished all your other years of school. But believe it or not, the learning is just beginning. Never stop learning because once you stop learning, you stop evolving, you stop growing. And so for me, it's it's just the idea of always learning, learning new things, trying new things. Um, Um, you know, going back to college and teaching students, you know, for me was new. I was never a professor of any kind. And now I've done it for seven years. Authoring a book was new for me in 2017. And now I'm about to publish my, you know, my fifth book. So it's always that idea of learning, growing, evolving and transforming, because if not, then you're just stagnant and you're just still and you're really going backwards. And so it doesn't matter what the focus is. It can be any focus, it can be music, it can be sports, it can be social media, it can be authoring a book, it can be teaching, it can be mentoring, it can be creating a community foundation and giving back. But it's just the idea that you're always learning new things, trying new things and and evolving as as an individual.
0: Wow, that's great! Well, wow. everybody, the good news is Mark has a podcast, and I will share with you the information on the show notes. I don't know if you want to say anything particular about your podcast. I think it's great because you probably gain a few a few <laughs> fans on this interview.
1: Yeah, no, and it's and it's you know I I love how you you um, produce and lead your podcast. You make it very conversational. I do the same. I just when the book started coming out, I thought let's create a podcast. So it's it's very simply, it's www.101lessonspodcast.com. And I inter- interview individuals y'all like you as you're doing here today where I want to understand what makes them tick. What is their life story? Where did they grow up? What lessons did they learn along the way? What advice would they give to, to today's college students and others? And so um, I probably have about 60 or so episodes done and I just enjoy listening and learning to others and then sharing those stories. So like you're doing so well, uh, it's a great way for your listeners just to 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 learn some things, and if if we can listen to a podcast and take away one or two or three insights that help us. Uh, That's pretty powerful stuff. So that's that's my goal. Just as I know it is your goal in in, you know your podcast. Well,
0: I definitely I admit that I haven't listened to it, but I will because I I love how you speak. I think that uh, your students are very lucky. You sound like someone that has a lot of wisdom to share and very passionate about it. So I think that you are leaving a mark in a lot of young people, and that's. That's great to know that we have professors like you around, and uh, I would definitely check your podcast and your books, and I thank you for sharing your time with us and and with the Back to Basics audience.
1: Well, thank you for taking interest in even having me on. I appreciate it greatly and uh, really value the conversation we
0: have. Thank you, Mark, and best of luck to you during these uh, tough times with coronavirus. Same to
1: you and your family.
0: Take care and until the next time